What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are back on the Desert Island, and we're going to be talking some comics, Desert Island comics. These are the comics that you would choose to take to the Desert Island with you and make you sort of, you might enjoy them, or you might read them, or they might make you think. There'll be any reason, but these are the ones that this person has chosen. Today, I am being joined by my brother from another mother, the man, the legend that is Julian Darius, a co-host from uh, Stories Out of Time and Space. Julian, how are you doing? You Okay. I'm doing great. I'm confused as to where's the story out of time and space uh, theme music. I just don't know what I'm doing without it. <laughs> it's every, that intro because obviously I, I do the same intro for all this. It have to engage my brain to sort of not say when I say welcome back, welcome back to yeah. There's that thing of automatic <laughs> <laughs> stories out of time and space. But you're joining me today for our Desert Island comics. I've wanted to do this for a while. I said we haven't got around. I haven't got around to it really. Um, so what are we going to be talking about today? Give us a rundown of the comics that you have chosen for us to talk about today. Well, the first one is uh, Flash Number One from mm. 1987. This is the beginning of the Mike Barron run on the post-Crisis on Infinite Earths Flash. The second is Miracle Man 16 from 1989. This is the final issue of Alan Moore's run. And then uh, my own Kim At Ren number five from, uh, I think it was 2020? Mm, I think so. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. I'll check. check me. Yes. I, I, I had to check with you whether that was okay. I was like, ah, uh, you know. <laughs> but I took the Desert Island question seriously because... To me, I thought, well, if I'm really taking these to a desert island, there are so many possibilities to choose from. Mm. I thought, you know, I've got to I got to go with those two. And I thought I've spent so much time and energy making my own comics. I'd like to on a desert island have some memorial of the fact that, like, I grew up with this stuff and then I wound up producing this stuff. So, yeah, good. And the other thing is, well, I say um, I, I will get to it. When we when we speak about Kermit Wren, but knowing you as well, I can imagine that being sort of a double edged sword where you sit and you you'll read it and you'll enjoy it and you'll appreciate what you've worked and then there'll, then there'll be a time you're like, I could have changed this and you know, <laughs> I want and you'll let it bug you, but we'll get to it. Cause I really enjoyed it actually. But anyway, we are we're going to start from the beginning. We're going to start well, let's say the post crisis flash. I've never read the the Mike Barron run. Um, I've read. Uh, post crisis, obviously I've, I've read crisis, but in post crisis I've read like Superman, Man of Steel, uh, read Batman, um, and, and a few of the little bits, but not really ever read. But I know this is a big run uh, because this is actually, like I say, it's the introduction of, of Wally West as as the Flash. You know, it's, it's post the death of Barry Allen. Spoilers for those that have never read uh, <laughs> Infinite, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth. Um, but yeah, so I, I was curious because. One of the things I'm, I'm I'm going to ask you then is is Wally West your Flash? Yes, without a doubt. Mm. Um, and, and this was I had read some of the Barry Allen Flash growing up. I was always partial to Flash, but 
I am very much of this generation. I mean, this was this was the first comic that I collected every single issue of and just followed month to month. Mm. It was in, in that sense, it was nowhere near my first comic. I had read them since I was a little kid, but I was about 10. I was 10 when this came out. So this was my first serious comic. Mm. And Wally West, I followed from the moment he was Flash onward. And so, yeah, Flash is my Flash. And the idea of the DC Universe as a generational place where things happen and changes occur. Robin becomes Nightwing. Um, Flash dies. Wally West deceives him. And then later on, Hal Jordan goes bad and there's a new Green Lantern. Mm. Those events were very much, and the, the generational feel to DC Comics was very much from the beginning inscribed in everything I appreciated from the DC universe. That change mattered. Barry Allen wasn't going to come back. And so, yeah, Wally West is my Flash, and everything that I liked about the DC universe doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it is interesting that you say that, because I say, because reading this, this is obviously from a, an era that um, I'm not hugely familiar with because it's sort of, I come in a little bit later and I came in um, more through Marvel, sort of like in the uh, in the 80s, uh, 90s. But yeah, this idea of it being generational, as you say, as you say, sort of like, you know, Wally West and he, in, in this, this issue actually has him sort of like celebrating sort of like, you know, his 20th birthday. He's leaving the Teen Titans to become The Flash. And so there is this idea of things like growing up and people will move on and do different things. And it seems, I can imagine this being exciting as a kid when you're like, yeah, you know, you, these are all the characters and they're grown up and they're going to become these new things. And it, it, do we, why did that stop? Because obviously there's the return of Barry Allen. Um, this is Jeff Johns. Is it Jeff Johns who did that? Yes. Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I know you have certain feelings regarding Jeff Johns. Um, well, I mean, he's I do think he's a good writer. He's I've cer he's certainly done a lot of stuff that I appreciate. And he's had a lot of ideas that I appreciate, even if mm. I struggle here and there with the execution. But he's also written some terrible stuff along the way. Um, mm. But beyond that, what I cannot I could not get over bringing Hal Jordan back and bringing Barry Allen back. And I, and I think what that was rooted in was really people feeling as if these were the definitive versions of the characters in the same way that Wally West was the defi definitive flash for me. Um, you know, a lot of people, if you grew up in the sixties or you grew up with a super friends cartoon or, or something like that, you, th these were, you know, Kyle Rayner does not look like green lantern should be. Mm. And if you really love, I mean, what I don't understand about this is, that Barry Allen didn't have a personality. How Jordan didn't have a personality. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you know, that's an exaggeration, okay? But Barry Allen was goody two-shoes, right? Yes. He was He was the hero who was not tormented. Um, and how Jordan had more of a rebunctious, you know, rebellious uh, personality. But, you know, neither personality and characterization was not remotely as important from the 60s to the 80s and it's in the 80s especially under you know claremont and alan moore that this stuff really starts coming in and so 
you know, to get back to this issue for me as a kid, it's funny that we want to have like audience identification figures and we think, oh, you gotta, gotta put a kid in because this is, we want kids to watch it. I was at 10. I didn't want to watch 10 years old. I, I didn't want to <laughs> read about other 10 years old. I wanted to read about young adults. I wanted mm -hmm. to understand what adulthood was like. And I could actually kind of see ways in which my Baron's Flash screwed me up yeah. <laughs> uh, because he he is a womanizer and he is, um, you know, a of course, he's coming of age in Ronald Reagan's America. This is the Wall Street America where uh, Mike Barron is brilliant. I mean, I mm. regardless of his politics, which I disagree with. I mean, he was a, a you know, and remains a brilliant writer. And when Flash asks about money to run a hard across country, I've never read. I mean, nothing like that had been done in a comic before. Um, <laughs> I uh, it took me by surprise. Yeah, having reading this, I mean, just to give people an overview, like basically the, the gist of this comic as introduction is um, uh, Wally West. It starts with him as a, as a like a birthday party for his 20th and all the teen titans are there and it's all sort of celebrating and then he is called off to to do something and it is to get a heart from a for a transplant um from wherever this is i don't whatever city the flash is in from, um, from new york new yeah from, yes, from new new york literally across country to seattle yeah yeah and um he he basically collars the doctors. He's like, "All right, well, yeah, no, I can do this, but uh, it comes at a cost to me. So, uh, like, what's in it for me? You know?" Um, and so they they said, "Well, what what is it you want?" And he he actually sort of lays it on the line. He says, "Well, you're going to cover my medical expenses, or you're going to cover my medical. You know, you you've got it. You're an you're, you're employed. You get paid to do these things, and you, but you're calling on me and expecting me to do this. And there is a cost to me, like I you know time and this other stuff." And obviously, because they've, they've depowered the Flash, as they did with all the superheroes sort of post-crisis. Um, so he can only run 704 miles an hour now, is his top speed. Um, so it will take, still take him three hours to run across country. So I, I, loved, I loved that, that there was like a, you know, like a limit on this stuff. But I, I was a bit taken aback with the superhero going like, you know, well, you know, like, oh, no, this isn't free, because it's not free on me, so I've got to cover this stuff. So, yeah, I, you know... That was a bit of a shocker to me, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and it's still revolutionary. For me, this was so much of what I liked about the post-crisis slate of DC titles was the energy from um, Miracle Man and from Watchmen and Dark Knight. That revisionism was being funneled into the mainstream titles. Mm. And I had not read Watchmen when I read this. I had not read dark night yet uh for me this was my introduction to these ideas and i should also point out the concept that flash has to eat a lot to keep his metabolism up also originates in this issue nobody had it, ever done that before i, I was gonna so ask you see that. that on tv that's ripped off from from my well that's ripped off right that's yes. was invented by mike Barron. it makes sense you know if you if you do that your metabolism is going to be through the roof so um Although yeah, there's a there's a weird joke in this which I and I was going to ask about because there's a couple of things where I'm like I'm not sure if I understand this. Um, so you know because Wally West doesn't come. I'm not sure if he's 
comes across well or not. So there's a bit early on, it's in the very beginning of the comic, and uh, Cyborg's talking to to him, because um, he's eating all this food to build up, you know, build up his calories. He says, yeah, man, he just packs it in and never shows it. You'd eat like that too if you burned a zillion calories a minute. And then I believe it's sort of uh, Wally West blonde girlfriend says, oh, I'm so jealous. And she, he says, believe me, it's not all chitlins and gravy. I can't go bopping off whenever I feel like it. And, says to and then you have Cyborg sort of looking to the side and going like, chitlins and gravy. And I was like, Mm-hmm. Is that supposed to be some sort of like, you know, a racial yeah, he's, joke? He's basically, looking, giving a side eye like yeah. to the reader. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not sure I get that, but I get the feeling that that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this was weird for me because I was ten, and mm-hmm. I think the the writing here is incredibly sophisticated, and it was way above what I was used to reading. So. Yeah. There were so many metaphors and adult situations and things that, I mean, it, you know, I remember just struggling with, you know, there's a, there are so many metaphors. Um, when he's talking about Barry Allen, he says, you know, he left me his costumes and a picture of what a hero should be. I remember at one point saying like, well, where is this photograph? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I mean, I was a 10 year old and, and I had dumb thoughts, but I remember going through that kind of thing. So, so for me, it would have been at the time, like, what is this expression? All chitlins and gravy, you know, from context, it means it's all good. I don't know that this is a real expression, but clearly it's kind of like, is this Southern? Is this like black food? Like what, what is, you know, so he, there's the side eye from cyborg, but, but to get to your point, I think one of the most amazing things about this entire run is that you're not supposed to like the flash that yeah. Baron is such a good writer that, you know, in interviews, he'll talk about how it, you know, the, the point is that it's interesting mm. and he wasn't trying to do a deconstructive manifesto like Watchmen, but he thought, look, it's interesting having a superhero ask for money. Um, and point out like the Teen Titans doesn't pay me a pension. You know, uh, I, what do you, what do you think I do? Uh, I'll do it free. It's, but look, you're getting paid here. Everybody's getting paid here. Uh, this is a big business. Um, I'm doing your serve a big service for you. I think that's interesting. And and Mike Barron thought it was interesting. And I think Barron thought it was interesting to have Wally West be somebody who was not necessarily the most likable identifiable character and i think he's right and to this day i still enjoy uh unlikable narrators i still Mm. and i still i still i i resent when a writer makes it easy and somebody they don't have to be a mary sue but somebody is just so likable and they always make the right choices and they don't struggle with it um you know people have edges even the people you admire most you know Mm. are human beings and we're probably a dick at 20 <laughs> yeah well, yeah no, it's true you know um that, that's the thing they like say when you're 20 you're full of you know bravado and stuff and you are probably going to ask for these things and you know especially if you already have been kid flash and you know there's there's clearly i like the fact that um it's it happens sort of several times and there's clearly a bit of a resentment of him having to correct people because they go oh it's, yeah wally west that's kid flash he's like no no, no now it's just the flash no, like that legitimization is like, no, look, I'm I'm now the Flash, and he sort of has to resent sort of having to 
correct people. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, this, this thing, like say, throughout it, even sort of, um, you know, the, uh, the the interactions towards the end, there's the plane ride home uh, as well, sort of like, you know, he does all this stuff and um, he hurts his hand, you know, and he's sort of like, uh, he's like, yeah, I could, I could heal this in a couple of days. It'll cost me because I've got all this stuff. So, but why shouldn't I take some time off? Why shouldn't I get to heal normally? And so there's this sort of sense of, you know, he understands there are sort of, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to use the, the phrase, but like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility kind of stuff. But he's also like, well, yeah, but I'm still human. Like I've still got my needs. Like I'm not just there to fulfill this obligation of a hero. And I kind of like that, that like, you know, like he's human. He is a bit of a dick, but we've all, we all have that moment. Where we're like, no, I'm being selfish because I need to. So, yeah, no, I, I, I sort of get it. Um, yeah. And he's not, we went on to see stuff like the boys. Um, yeah. Right. We, we've seen other superheroes who are less kind. He's not a bad guy. He's, mm. and, and I, I always liked him. I still do. But he's struggling, as you say, he's struggling to figure out who he is. And, you know, I certainly identified with this growing up in my parents' shadow, as, as all of us do, and trying to figure out what it meant to be a man, what it meant in a very different culture than they grew up in, and with no instructions on the matter from anyone, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, what? how do you balance your needs versus um doing what you think is right and all of that yeah and as you said i think you know this idea as well he says um you know he left me his costume and a picture of what a hero should be you know, you can take it as like oh he gave me this this uh inspirational platform or this this, this you know this thing to look up to yeah but it also gave you a shadow to live in absolutely yeah and that that sort of like so you can see it in that moment like it's not all good yeah, it's not all chitlins and gravy. It's it's it's, it's it goes both sides. Like you know, there's clearly the thing of like, well, Barry Allen was the Flash. He was this, he was this, and he sacrificed himself to save the multiverse. So, yeah, I've now got a big shadow to live in, and you know, there's always going to be that moment. So that that just that phrasing of like, you know, he left me his costume and he, and he sort of um, that picture of being a hero is is two edged. It's double edged. And so I find that really interesting as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that, and that yeah, I think, is realistic, and that would continue throughout this run. Um, you know, he uh, was succeeded by Bill Messner-Lobes, who did a fantastic run uh, up until, you know, issue 60, early 60s. And then Mark, Mark Way took over and did, like, the return of Barry Allen story. It's not really <laughs> Barry Allen, by the way, but... That was there were several stories that were like intended to resolve this inferiority complex. Mm. And one was around issue 50. And then the return of Barry Allen is the one that kind of stuck more. But. You know, the, the, the weird thing about bringing Barry Allen back is that Wally West not only had established himself as the Flash for a generation, but also had more character. I identified more with somebody who was imperfect and who had struggled than I did somebody who was was just 
always perfect. I mean, Barry was, you know, uh, I never thought of it at the time, but he was obviously a conservative, right? He had a sort of like military crew cut. He was mm-hmm. a police scientist. And here's this latchkey kid who became Kid Flash. And he really was, especially in the post-crisis continuity, his parents were kind of terrible. Um, and he went to psychiatry in, in later issues by uh, by Mike Barron. Um, and so, you know, I, I identified with how he was screwed up. And I think they really lost something in not grounding that, you know, deeper character. Mm. The Flash. It's interesting because my exposure to um, Wally West has been a lot more recent. Um, but also my actual exposure to The Flash is um, Justice League Unlimited, the cartoon, mm. mm-hmm. um, which I believe that and that's the Wally West um, Flash in that, I believe. Because that, you know, because he's got the, the dark because he obviously, see, this costume changes like it becomes a, a darker sort of red and all this other stuff and he becomes The lightning uh, bolts kind of become angled down at his crotch Yes, yeah, yeah. and he, he, it's no, you know, the eyes go the white, the Batman eyes and that sort of thing, so he, they have all that um, but it's the same with like John Stewart like John Stewart was, was the first Green Lantern I got to know because of um, the the just League Limited. So it's weird to see these characters and then, like I said, have the, the, the original come back. But reading this as well, it's it's interesting to see the, the, the Wally West that I know from reading sort of like, you know, again, things like um, recently like Rebirth and a, f- a couple of other sort of like, you know, a pre... I've gone back and read sort of like a couple of pre... Not DC 52. New 52. <coughs> 52 books. So see, the character clearly evolved. Um <clears throat> to the extent of him becoming so so iconic as the character that when they've brought back Barry Allen or referenced Barry Allen, they give him the traits of Wally West. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the Flash becomes more identifiable with these characteristics as the hero rather than the alter ego. I just find that really interesting. Like people, I remember when um, Ezra Miller's uh, depiction of the Flash. In, uh, in in the Justice League film, everyone was like, "Well, he's more he's more Wally West than he is Barry Allen." Absolutely, um, yeah, it's, it's just not Barry Allen. I mean, you you can't picture Barry as you know a, a puckish twenty year old kid, right? I mean, that's just mm. not who Barry was. And when they brought Barry back with Rebirth and everything, he suddenly had personality crises, right? Mm. He was. Part of the whole point of DC generally, but certainly of Barry Allen, was that he wasn't traumatized. He was a goody two-shoes who, who, in the best way, right? He didn't struggle with, with great power comes great responsibility. He was a police scientist. He knew what the right thing was. You know, he understood these things. He didn't. He did get a little angsty as his wife died and everything near the end of that run. But... <laughs> He never was uncertain what direction good was. And suddenly, in the revived version, you know, there's trauma with his parents because mm. everyone's got to be Batman now. I mean, and it's just a horrible pastiche of a character. Um, but I think that you're you're right that this is, you know, the, the Wally West stuff really stuck in that sense. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. This, this era... 
this period seems to have been um it, it, post-crisis is like you know it seems to me again i don't know enough about the, the history of it and i'm not really not but reading this in little bits and pieces it feels like dc has sort of gone we want to do these things we're going to ground them a little bit more but we're actually going to be a bit more daring in in the characterizations and have thought of things like consequences and this other stuff i mean it's a bit later on but i've literally i've read the first um 30 or so issues of john ostrander's um spectre mm-hmm. yeah um and and um that was amazing and again like it's got this whole thing about like he wipes out like an entire country at one point and you sort of you know and there's all consequences to it and it's like no dc was doing stuff where they were really pushing the bounds of the characters and you can see it in this issue where they're like oh no we're gonna do stuff and it's gonna hit you hard and it's gonna hit you fast the issue ends with him winning the lottery like in his crappy apartment yeah and then and then straight after he finds like a heart which i'm assuming is the heart he's just delivered which is no it's the heart of that reporter that he so so while he's running the heart cross country yes there's this great sequence where he 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 passes Vandal Savage. Mm. This was my introduction to Vandal Savage. Best version of Vandal Savage ever, by the way. Mm. You know, really looking sort of in this Victorian coat and everything. Yeah, that, that last page is awesome. Yeah, no, and and he had a kind of old world sophistication that is absent from the sort of like super villainy version of Vandal mm. Savage. Um. So, but anyway, so Flash is running this hard cross country, and I love that it takes like miles for this mm. image to sort of go through his brain. And by the time he stops, he's got to go back miles. This this realism that Baron brings to the character. Um, and, and by then, Vandal Savage is, you know, disappears. Um, but so that's the heart of that reporter at the end. But which you see in close up, right? I mean, like, like this is. Yeah. OK, so it's a little hokey that he wins the lottery. Right. I mean, yeah. I sort of hate that these days. But again, it was something interesting to do with a, this character who clearly struggles with money and see how that personality struggles now having money and what they would do. Um, so it's something interesting to do with a character that is not all that normal. Um, but uh, yeah, that ending with with Vandal Savage was real horror, right? Like this yeah. is this is not a mature reader's comic. <laughs> no, I mean, so it's the last sort of like three or four panels. Like you said, there's a box with a heart, a literal heart, not even like you get, you get a close up of it with the blood and this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he's about to change into the into the costume. And then Vandal Savage is sort of like, so doing his, uh, live as the Flash, die as the Flash. And that's the end. And you're like, hang on, like, you know, it's a great cliffhanger. That's it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an introduction post crisis. This is a, is a, a boomer place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I love to get back to sort of the writing. Um, I had never read anything like this. I had read mm. sort of a lot of silly superhero comics. But even when he discovers the heart, uh, he's just read won the lottery. Um, and he says, you know, the smell, this is not from Francine. He'd find the present, right? Presumably for his birthday mm. party. The hair along the base of my skull stands straight up. You know, um, and earlier when there's a there's a line in here that I has become a sort of standard reference for me, a sort of expression, but is for nobody else. It's not Chitlins and Gravy. Um, it is when he is proposing the uh, um, being paid 
in health insurance for going mm. across the country. And he says, um, the question is, what can you do for me? And then there's a <laughs> caption that says, they look like I spit on the carpet or something. The minute yawns. I love the, we all know what that feels like, right? That like the spit on the carpet thing. Like sometimes I'll say something in mixed company and I'll think like, oh, that's the spit on the carpet moment. Like I just was a little too blunt. Um, and even just the minute yawns, you, you know, that's so much better than there's a pregnant pause or, or something like that. And I, I think the idea of the spitting on the carpet should just be a, a standard English expression. No, yeah, I, I really I do. It's because it's again, it, it captures that moment perfectly. Um because you, you you can feel that tension in in, in the next couple of panels, um, so yeah, no, it is. It's really good. I, I, I do like the writing because again, like we'll, we'll, I want to quickly talk about the art in a minute. Yeah. But um, uh, it, there's there's two. I want to sort of say this this thing where she he goes to the to the hospital to pick this thing up. Um, there's two people in the room. There's there's a there's a woman who sort of let him in, and then the, this doctor. Um. And there's a there's another moment I thought um, I thought was quite interesting. So they're talking about the doctor saying, "We well, you know, we've got a patient in Seattle, got to get them this heart." And he says, "Oh, but of course you should know I'm not a member of the Titans and receive no funding from them. And if I have to do two thousand miles flat out, there's there's a cost to me. You are not asking a casual favour, which is fair. You know he's having to expel energy and power to do this." But the woman looks at him, and again, she looks at him with like side eye, and she's like, "Well, oh, she's pissed off." And she says, "Would it help if you knew who the patient is?" And he's like, "No, I already told you I'll do it. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that, like, you know." But the question is, what you? That's this, then it gets into this. But the question is, what would you do for me? But he's not saying like I'm. Not, he's not saying like I'm not going to do this. I'm just saying to you, this this isn't, you know, this is a, this is a service I'm providing, and and. You know, people get paid to do the thing they're good at. So why shouldn't I get paid? Like, you know, um, but again, I like the fact that they, their their expectation is, is like, you know, it says the is the Barry Allen approach. They're expecting him to turn up and be like, of course, pop it on, and I'll be on my way. Um, yeah, on Super Friends, nobody ever says, okay, I'm I'm performing a risky service for you, right? Like you're asking a tremendous athletic feat out of me, right? Like mm. I am an Olympic level uh, athlete, and you're asking me to do a prolonged run for you. Uh, what what am I getting paid? You know, look, I'll do it for for anything, but to be fair, I should be compensated here. Well, right, yeah, absolutely. That's not a you know, but man, people hated this. People really hated this version of Falling West. And really? in fact, when, yeah, I mean, it was very controversial. The, in later issues, there's some sort of like women in swimsuits and, and barely, bare, um, Wally is sort of, uh, you know, cheats on Francine. He gets involved with a married woman. Mm -hmm. um, that was, there's a famous cover where <laughs> uh, the married woman, the married, uh, woman's uh is tina mcgee who has now gone on to be in other things and her husband uh takes this you know serum to give himself super speed except he, you know it distorts his body like steroids and there's this <laughs> wonderful cover as he's like crashing through the window menacing them and he you know says like e 
clearly you took my wife and it's like a dime novel you know romance cover <laughs> yeah. like you know it's so <laughs> dramatic but also a situation where you'd never expect a superhero to be and so what's funny is there was an entire generation that said you like you ruined flash right <laughs> like wally west ruined flash and then i was the generation that said no no this is you know i liked flash before but this is my flash this taught me so much about comics and what comics should be this was my entrance point into mm-hmm. yeah i probably read this you know a hundred times this was getting serious about what comics could be started for me right here um so you know every generation has a different thing and this is one reason why i can be really mean about like the the revivals and, and some of the new 52 stuff and just how how bad it is just from an objective quality standpoint of writing you know production mm-hmm. etc having said that i am the i am the most tolerant about some new take in a movie or something like you know you know what the new batman movie it's going to be what it's going to be it's going to be a new batman for another generation i don't have to like it if i like it great if i don't it's okay it, it, these concepts can get reinvented mm-hmm. i just hope that it's quality or a new take that is uh, so much committed to itself like this one is yeah no i agree with that as well like it's a committing to itself is 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 the point isn't it like if if they did this for three issues then we're like oh actually this isn't working we're going to change him up and you know he's going to become a nice guy then it feels you know they lost the spirit of their convictions but with this it feels like a statement of t- intent as well like no this is what the direction we're going but what I'm hearing you saying is if the if the internet had been around in 1987, if Twitter had been around in 1987, there would have been hashtag not my flash. Um, yes. All over Absolutely. the place. Absolutely. <laughs> um, cool. No, the, the final thing I wanted to talk about was the art. And not not to heavily criticize it, because it's very much of its era. And I I do kind of like 80s art. Um, you know, sort of like 70s into 80s art. There's some some artists I really like. Jackson Goyce in this though, it's I think I think this is a sort of like eighties thing. This party is to celebrate um, Wally West's twentieth birthday. Mm-hmm. However, he's drawn like a thirty-five-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. He, even Cyborg at one point, and what it is, it's it's, it's interesting because I sort of I always it's, it's, it's something it's a bugbear of mine in art. I see is eye creases yeah so corner of the eyes and stuff everyone looks slightly worn out and slightly sort of aged <laughs> and it's like they can't and i find this even artists today do it like this isn't a thing mm-hmm. of this period it's hard to say some artists can't draw a distinction between age you know between sort of like young and middle age and stuff and see so there are artists where you'll see like bruce wayne stood next to sort of um uh, Dick Grayson, or, or you know, probably not the others, but some, maybe like Dick Grayson, and you'd be like, yeah, they're exactly the same age. Yeah, you know, they look yeah. like different body types, but they look, they they just look exactly the same age. Uh, and it, it, I find it really hard. But in this, I am watching them going like, yeah, Wally West looks about thirty five, um, which is fine. But like the fact they're celebrating his his twentieth birthday sort of makes it quite funny. Um, yeah. There's a panel in here where I thought he looks just like McNulty, McNutty in, in uh, um, The Wire. 
Um, <laughs> you know, which he should not look like that at 20. I, I, I want to stick up for Jackson Goose, though, because, uh, you know, Butch Jackson Goose, because, I mean, he has admitted that, like, he struggled with proportions, like, especially mm. as this run goes on. You see just sort of legs that are like a foot or two longer than they should be. Um, but there's a, there is one in there. There's, there's a there's a there's a panel. There's a there's a, there's a panel where the the flash is in full stride, and he's running between panels, and the legs look bandy is the only way I could describe them. Um, but I know how yeah. hard that is. Well, I mean, and, and he sort of you know it's it's like the Kirby foreshortening thing. Um, but I mean, you look at Kirby. Kirby's anatomy is all over the place. Yeah. Um, you know, we forget that. I love Jackson Cuse's art, and I and I think that it it comes from that school of sort of George Perez's sort of ultra realism, mm -hmm. except it has those sort of exaggerated. Like he struggles with, um, you know, the age of faces. I think totally legitimate. He struggles with, especially in this period, the sort of elongated limbs, um, and, and sort of things like that. But I mean, it's not like, you know, Rob Liefeld, where it's like, you know, the, the <laughs> foot is twice as big as the head or like late Frank Miller or something. It's, it's not like that. It, it's very no, no, much no, no. within that sort of Phil Jimenez is now an inheritor of that sort of ultra realistic sort of detailed style. And I love that style. I mean, that is a style that even in like European comics, I think it translates. It doesn't look to me like a superhero style. Definitely his idiosyncrasies with the stretched limbs do, but it's def there's something superhero-y to this. But I like that it is going for this sort of, you know, realistic, very detailed uh, look. Yeah, one one of the things I'll always I'll, I'll always compliment an artist on is backgrounds. Mm. And you know, I, one of the things that, that sort of like gets on my wick at times is endless panels of just a, a character and, a, and nothing in the background just a colored background now there's a couple of those in here but and i don't mind it in that sense if there's a couple like you know and in some case you can get away with it but there's very few and then when there are them like there's you know incredibly detailed panels of buildings and the snow when he's running through the snow there's the mountain ranges and um, all this other stuff and it looks that looks great and i will always anyone who's going to spend any artist that's going to spend the time to give you a detailed um, background. Even the hospital stuff is really good. Yeah. So I, I will compliment that. The age of the faces is, is just, was just a nitpick. I thought it was quite funny. And again, like you say about that, the static image of the last page is awesome. You know, the shadow on it and the, or the, sorry, the lighting in it and the detail and stuff is really cool. So, um, no, that it is good. I would say is my introduction to Butch Guys, um probably comes a lot later actually it was when he mm. he actually did he, he was the artist for quite a while on he follows steve epting uh on um uh, ed brubaker's captain america oh yeah yeah um and he was great on that i loved his i love his art on that but um yeah i just wanted to be a prick and, and nitpick on this really <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. and he, and he, he was a lot younger in these days yeah. and, and i think there's there are elements to his earlier stuff that i like better than his later stuff but i mean he definitely did filter out some of those those things that we do struggle with looking at that here yeah although i'm very forgiving about comics art i'm not i'm i'm a writer so i am 
hypercritical of writing, <laughs> uh, any any writing or even storytelling, which also can be an artist. Um, mm. You know, I, I tend to be hypercritical of. But art, it's like, yeah, you know, so if you're drawing a 20-year-old, how many lines do you put on that face, right? I mean, yes, at the end of the day, there's an impression that that leaves, and, and you're dead right about that impression. But at, at the same time, I, I look at that and I say, you know, I'm not an artist. He's choosing to, you know, articulate that crease and, you know, all right, that's fine. Yeah. And then, again, like you know, some, some panels, with and, and, and anatomy is incredibly difficult. Like, you know, mm. I, I've, I've been, I've drawn in my time and anatomy, mm. especially in the moment you can draw something. I've done it before. You'll draw something and you'll go, yeah, that looks great. And you'll go away for half an hour and you'll come back and you're like, why does it now look like I've drawn a pretzel? Like it looks awful. Um, so yeah, I, I know that I know, I know that confusion and pain. Anyway, any any final thoughts then on uh, Flash number one from nineteen eighty seven? I think I think it's a lost uh, classic. I mean, they did do a they did do a trade paperback called Terminal Velocity that collects all the Mike Barron stuff plus the first few issues of the Bill Messerlob stuff that resolve the the final storyline and and there are there are moments in there that are a little cringe but overall there are so many moments that are stunningly fantastic and mm. they really have stuck in my head and have had as much influence on my appreciation of comics and my appreciation of what superhero stories can be as anything else mm. no i I, say, I I enjoyed it it's one it's going on my to read list um, I'm going to go on Comicsology and probably get a couple more because I, 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 I want to see more of this. Actually, I think I, I think it'd be quite worth. Like you say, it's an interesting character I don't know a lot about, and it seems like a good place to start, really. So, I will be reading some more of this. Excellent. Anyway, let's move on to your next selection. So we move forward a couple of years uh, to 1989, and a, and a book that obviously had a sporadic publish, public <laughs> publication history. But eventually we got the end of it, and, and this is uh, Miracle Man number 16 is the final book, as you said, the last of Alan Moore's books, but the final book of, uh, well, this was, it's chapter six of book three, right? Olympus. And this follows possibly one of the, the most uh, mind-meltingly violent and heartbreaking issues of a comic I've ever read sort of like Miracle Man 15 is up there as one of the most sort of incredible um, comics ever. It's sort of, it, it's, it has the battle of London between Miracle Man and Kid Miracle Man and uh, the death of Johnny Bates, which is, <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it if anyone's ever read it because you, you will learn that Julian and I are big Miracle Man fans. <laughs> like, this is one of my favourite Alan Moore uh, series and uh, any, any chance to talk Miracle Man is always good. So, but I'll let you you talk because you chose it. So why why number sixteen? Well, I think this is. I come back to writing. I and I come back to this is one of the most exquisitely written mm. superhero comics that has ever been made. It may be the best written superhero comic ever. Um, yes, fifteen is the one that everyone remembers the shock mm -hmm. of, of London is destroyed and the creativity in that and way before you know, what 30 years before 
Um, yeah, yeah. Man of Steel. Right. I mean, it, it's just the idea that in a in a real world, superheroes are going to f shit up, right? Um, but that is, I, I shouldn't say easy to do, right? That is what everyone blames revisionism for, right? They blame it for being dark and violent. Mm -hmm. Here is the hard work. It's yes. easy to get to a dramatic inclusion. You know, I shouldn't say easy, but I mean, that's one thing. Everybody tries that. It's what happens afterward. It's always for me what happens after the climax. Like, congratulations, you've saved the world again. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of Avengers, everybody knows aliens are here and we've lost like <laughs> yeah. half a million people in New York City and the world will never be the same. What happens to religion? What happens to culture? What happens to geopolitics? Mm -hmm. All the other nations of the world are going to complain. You've got superheroes. Yeah, the, that is a much more interesting story. And issue 16 tells that story in yeah. 32 pages and two uh, covers. So two inside covers. So it is it is a stunning masterpiece of of writing. And I think that uh, just like like I look back on Flash number one and I think like, you know, you don't need a hijacking on the airplane to like have another action scene. I know that, mm. especially in those days, you know, I'll write another action scene. Um, but I always think like, how many bank robberies are these superheroes just happening to pass? I've never <laughs> seen a bank robbery in my life. Um, how yeah. many hijackings have you been on a plane for? Um, but this, but it was a much more realistic uh, way of writing, much more poetic. Here is Alan Moore's final statement on superheroes until he comes back uh, in a totally different, let's just have them be fun mode. Mm. And this is what people forget about revisionism, which was bringing a kind of literary intelligence to comics. And people praise Swamp Thing for this and these phrases in Swamp Thing. But more than anything else, this was Alan Moore straining to bring to write sort of the ultimate literary superhero comic as his swan song, not just to Miracle Man, which he'd been writing for a decade, but also to his his farewell, really, to the superhero mm. genre. And it feels like it. Yeah, this is a final statement. I mean, you know, you're right. I mean, one of the things is, you know, Alan Moore is, is you know, the Watchmen guy. Everyone goes talks about Watchmen. And Watchmen's fine. It's good. I'm not going to know fine. It is very good. It's, you know, it's often at the top of, you know, many, many lists, and rightfully so. But there's something about Watchmen that, whilst good, feels sort of restrictive. In, in a weird way, like it, you know, maybe it's because I've read it so many times, I don't know. This feels more impactful, this feels more operatic, you know. Mm -hmm. This, this sort of, and there's, there's moments in this that are just this issue is it, like you say, it's, it's, it's absolutely fabulous. Um, and you know, to, to finish off with this, and because again, the, the, there are easy options for this finish, you know, there, there, was, there was an easy option for this epilogue issue because this is an epilogue. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, in many ways, but he doesn't take the easy route. Alan Moore never takes the easy route, <laughs> and and so there's like moments in this book that are just so sort of of page after page. I mean, basically, this is a statement of intent of what the world should be, 
and and some of it you can go all right it's not that simple that sort of thing and it's easy to back it up when you are miracle man which is sort of the point um but there's still points in this book where you just go yeah that's in fact there's there's a comment i'm going to get to there's a statement in this book that i'm like i think when i read it i was like no that 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 feels a bit funny now i read and i'm like no that's completely accurate like he he nailed this after the the so basically what it is following the battle of london miracle man and miracle woman and the others that he sort of the you know the warp smiths and everything else have basically decided that well they now know about us so we might as well be public and therefore we have an obligation to make things better you know michael moran who was miracle man's alter ego has sacrificed he's given up so there is no other alter ego there is just miracle man so they're now going to sort of take on this mantle of of like living gods within society and in to do so they are going to sort of like re reorganize society and it starts in in a, in six well, no, it's a single page for me mm-hmm. and it's the, so you get this like beautiful you know soliloquy of, of introduction of what he's doing around this place of looking at these things and all this other stuff and they go to this funeral, and then it's like, oh, and then we had the then we had the the meeting with the government, and 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 basically it's sort of like Miracle Man giving a sort of a PowerPoint presentation on all the stuff he's going to do, and we're going to do this and this, and then we're going to reorganise the economy. And Margaret Thatcher says, and this is I love it, no, 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 this is all quite preposterous. We can never allow this kind of interference with the market, and all Miracle Man says is allow. And you just see, and it's this acknowledgement that this she knows there's nothing you can do, and it's, it it breaks Margaret Thatcher, and I'm sure Alan Moore really enjoyed depicting that, <laughs> but and rightfully so, yeah. But I also love that within that, he gets chastised for it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miracle Woman comes to him and she says, like, that was childish. We're better than that. We are supposed to be above pettiness. Um, and and so I love the fact this one page is this it is like we now know what you're going to do, but we are going to do this in the way that you know we are not going to belittle people, we're not going to look down on people, but we are going to force our hand, and that's what the rest of the book is. And it's such a good page; it's so well done and so well sort of. That I I just love that page, and it's so brilliant. And then obviously it goes on to the rest of the book. But yeah, I just want to sort of start from there really. But what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, that is a great page. And um, the idea as Miracle Man watches Thatcher leave, uh, he narrates. Um, walking away, she looked so old so suddenly I mm. could not date her. And, you know, it's this it's this real it's this relief. Like if I were granted Superman's powers. It you know it would be a lot easier to look at say Donald Trump and say what a broken man destroyed by his father right I mean yeah. what a bundle of neuroses uh what you know how sad it must be to be him it's hard I I can let go of the anger I can let go of of what I feel about it and it's easier when you're a god to do that. I, I really love the utopianism of this issue mm. and utopias and their discontents is one of my favorite subjects. 
Um, and, and in fact, I wrote a, a master's thesis about it in Milton. Um, and it sort of here it comes from the place of that observation about, for example, the Fantastic Four. So, well, you've got all this technology. Why are people still dying of cancer? You know, yes. you can go through a multiverse and shrink people down and, and cure all these things. I mean, Wonder Woman's got the purple ray. It just magically mm -hmm. cures everything. You know, uh, excuse me, uh, over here with a terminal disease, Wonder Woman, uh, could you, Themyscurans, maybe give a shit about us a little? And... That's always the thing that nobody dares tackle. Even today, mm. nobody dares tackle it. Mark Wade and his Fantastic Four run uses it, but only really so that the money from those patents funds the Fantastic Four. But you don't see on the ground how this would fundamentally change reality mm. as yeah. live for people because you can't do that, right? I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, is finding this out that it's now at the point where nothing should resemble yeah, you know, the world that we know it in. We should well, all be living in Wakanda by this point in the MCU. Yeah, and even Wakanda makes no sense whatsoever. But I mean, like, the years of trauma, like, everyone disappears for five years. And, yeah. I mean, like, the entire timeline of this universe, you know, you can't talk about a terrorist without, you know, well, what did they do for those five years? How did they interpret it? How do they understand Thor? How do they, you know, when if they're religious? So... If you run a superhero narrative forward enough, time has to deform. Yeah. And that is, Watchmen does that. But at the end of Watchmen, it's more controlled as symbolized by that nine panel grid. And at the end, yeah, okay, so half of New York has died, but you know, what's really happened, right? We're still in a kind of superhero status quo. And in fact, restoring that was Ozymandias' point. Mm -hmm. right? Prevent nuclear war. Here, Alan Moore just says, yeah, I, all of that stuff that nobody dares touch, we're going to do all of that because I can. Uh, this was always where it was going to go. This is the logical conclusion that nobody's dared write for Superman. Nobody dares has dared write for any of this. And we're going to do it this beautifully with those moments that you're describing with Thatcher, with those mm. beautiful human poetic moments. Yeah, yeah, they do because they continue. Like, and uh, there's some great panels, but the, you say, but it's a utopian um, future, it's a utopian view, and it is for the, it. It is for the most part because what I love about this isn't that sort of it's sort of like um, you know Miracle Man and his crew sort of like you know that firstly like they get rid of all the nuclear warheads they teleport them to the sun and then they do this and then they do that and the world is wonderful like they do all this stuff and you see that it actually makes sense there's a great speech about about why money doesn't exist why money is mm -hmm. is, is is imagined it never it never really exists and you can see there's like pictures of people crying like these rich people are like oh christ what's going on and then it goes on about education and, and the fact that, like, well, crime is clearly fueled by drugs. And so, you know, we got rid of money. And so we and we provided everybody with everything they needed. I love this. There's a moment where it's like, well, we provided you with this. Again, it comes out to that Maslow's hierarchy. We, we are going to provide you with this. If you want anything above that, then, yeah, you're going to work for it. That's that's fine. That's your, your level. That's like the universal income, but it's going to be quite a good one. Right. So once we've got that, people are all satisfied. Well, weirdly, crime decreased. 
Mm-hmm. And so they're dependent on drugs. So we thought, well, do you know what? We're going to make them all, all drugs are now readily available and, and legal. But we're also going to provide an, a, a total education about them as well, both the good and the bad. Well, that's when the cartels collapsed and it sort of goes through all mm-hmm. this stuff. And it leads to um, Charles Manson running basically a kid's school. <laughs> and it's like, and there's a great comment, which is sort of, you know, I don't know if you can get away with now, but it's a Charles Manson runs a, get, a, a care group. Um, now for for infants that have been um, abused. Though he still finds black children uh, harder to relate to, he perceives his problem working hard to counter it. And it's this moment of like, you know, everyone now has got, we have now sort of given people enough that they aren't just sort of struggling at the bottom. They are now able to reflect, even not Charles Manson is now able to reflect on why he is the way he is. And is able to be a, a positive contribution to society. Um, but you do get things, and there's a great one where they're like, um, people are still shits about, you know, you, you have sort of uh, survivalists, uh, religious groups that sort of sit outside of society. And this, this is the, the moment, this is the one I wasn't sure about. Um, I'm, I'm just going to sort of see this one. So they basically get rid of the... Um, uh, the, the the nuclear power plants. And so mm-hmm. first, they, first they've got to deal with the unions, but then they've got rid of money, so it doesn't matter. But they've got this thing called Earth Firsters. And it says, uh, they maintain that Africa should starve and die, part of a natural balance, while insisting that the smallpox virus had its place in our ecology and ought to be reintroduced. Mostly Americans... Earth firsters were still still well fed and well inoculated. We ignored them and continued to repair the wounded world. Um, so clearly, some prejudices there from uh, from Mr. Moore, but I love the fact he says, "Well, they're all sort of like well fed and well inoculated, so it's easy for you to say this is what should happen in Africa and this is what should happen with the smallpox virus. We've eradicated it." And I love the fact that living in a pandemic world, in a post-pandemic world. These are totally the people that would be like, you know, no, I'm protesting the fact you're making everything better. <laughs> How dare you take this away from me? Yeah, I, th- I think it's realistic that, er- yeah, as, as it says, every step of the way, there's resistance, right? Mm. And I mean, as as we record this, we, we've just gotten out of Afghanistan. Mm. Well, People voted for this. Every president, including Bush, wanted to do this. People voted for this. Uh, both Trump and Biden said they would do this. And now it's been done. Uh, you know, and sure, all's fair to criticize. But you did realize that nobody withdraws from a war, you know, <laughs> that's just been lost and has it all go well, right? Um, you know, and and again, there's plenty of, of things that are fair criticism, but people who voted for something then think, well, I voted for it. Now I'm going to complain that it wasn't done exactly the way I wanted or um, there were consequences to what I wanted to have happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, well, I voted for Trump, but I never imagined he'd try to take over the government. Really? Because he really told you so. Um, yeah. It was always you know, there. It was always there. Yeah. Right. But I mean, still people, people will always complain. And 
and that's good, and that's part of the process to a certain degree. My problem with that passage is sort of the the left right politics. I mean, I'm I'm a vegan. I'm an environmentalist. Um, mm. I don't know that they are the most radical, but I mean, there are people who say things like this. I mean, there are libertarians, especially, who say aid to Africa is hurting Africa and keeping them from developing their own indigenous programs. Every time you build a well, you're hurting Africa long term. I don't believe that, but I mean, there are people who say this and, and they have some data and support behind some of those points, not all of them. Um, but and, and the smallpox virus is a little extreme there, but we don't know what I mean, we're in the middle of climate change now and we've lost so many species. We don't even know what's going to happen to the food web as, as mm. these species collapse. So, I mean, the idea that like the smallpox virus has, you know, the idea here isn't that it has full civil rights, but that it has its place in our ecology. Yes. The phrase. OK, so, I mean, this is a little bit of a stereotype of the left. And I think that that's also important to have in here because thatcher's in here right i mean yes. you've got to have a little bit of balance and realize of course there are crazies on the left and you and i both know that too yeah and more like you said the, the, the thing i like about this is Moore's not willing to back down like he is you know he is going to sort of like poke at everybody but do it in a, in a like you say it's not just um it's not just poking it for poking's fun you know, he's not just doing it to be the grumpy old man that he sort of is often depicted as. Like, it's all fully justified. And when you read it, you're like, no, this is pretty much what would happen. Like, you would have this this colossal event, this, this you know, epoch-changing sort of, like, event of these, these beings coming onto Earth and saying, like, um, yeah, no, we're doing this for your betterment, and you can't stop mm -hmm. us. And good for them. Yeah. I mean... And there's no way to reread what I love about revisionism and, and people never acknowledge this is there's no way to reread those dumb superhero stories in the same way after, you know, mm. you, you can't go back to Superman beating Lex Luthor as he robs a bank after you've read Watchmen. Right. Um, there's right after the um, sort of irrigation of Africa sequence is um they say, transporting ozone from a lifeless gas giant, yeah. we renewed the stratosphere and thinned the smog that trapped Earth's heat, endangering her ice caps. This, these were but the simplest tasks included in our labors. I mean, like, remember Firestorm? Firestorm mm. transmutes elements, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, okay, so, you know, in, in, in Swamp Thing by Moore, there's this line about, you know, do you know how many uh, atoms, atoms are in the atmosphere? yeah. yeah. I can count them, says Superman, being imposing and terrifyingly powerful <laughs> and scary. But the point is, uh, superheroes could do these things. And every time we get a story, it's some kind of like half-assed uh, Superman decides to irrigate Africa. And then the moral of the story is, I've got to let these humans do it for themselves. Really? Have you looked at our international politics lately? <laughs> Just do it for us because we suck beyond belief. It's that thing you're sort of... Yeah, exactly. It's that thing of, you know, whenever you, when I, I hate that. I hate that thing of, no, we are here. We have to let the humans find their own way. It's like, really? You, you, do you know our history? Because <laughs> our own way usually leads to self-destruction. 
that we we can't seem to stop ourselves. We're that bad at it. We need to be guided. I'm all for letting humans find their own way, but if you watch two children attacking each other with knives, and you're like, you know, I'm really sick of children killing each other with knives. Maybe I should do something. No, I need to just watch them stab each other and die. Well, they what call that out. What they is call, the benefit of this? They call that out in the issue, because he says that, because they get a lot of hate mail. They are literally getting, um, mm -hmm. you know, they call it verbal warheads, because that's what they've got left. And he says that like, the conservative media seem to think that we, you know, that the world has fallen into the hands of the super liberals. Meanwhile, the liberal press says we're interfering with hum uh, human destiny to take away their free will. And 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 I forget the, I forget the character's name, but the sort of the black guy they've got that, with the firepower. He says bullshit. You see some little kid just about to drink Clorox. You're going to take away their her free will, or you know, you're not going to get any destiny. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so even you know, Alan Moore recognizes this idea of like, no, 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 look, you know, we aren't this 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 this, this clanism, this sort of you know, this segregation that we're introducing is, is tearing us apart, and we're being stupid about it, and we are acting like children. Um, so yeah, he is, and, and th this book in and of itself could be a manifesto. Like you could take this and be like, this is what we're gonna do. Like you know, um. It would never happen because the, the 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 elite. You would need Miracle Man to enforce this, but um, I, the, but yeah, one of the things I do find fascinating. I'm going to throw this as the next thing is um, actually before I get to that, there are two other things I want to sort of raise. Is about the post um, the the post success of of what they're doing. So you start to get some inclination of what happens after. Um, you get the good and the bad. I love the fact that, um, and it, this is such a like, a, a like an eighties thing, really, is because there's no point in space travel anymore, or they're, they're doing, or that's becoming incredibly easy. So they've now got the psychonauts, which is a, a term I love. So you've got people that are basically taking psychedelic drugs to explore the inner sort of mind and this sort of psychedelia of sort of you know this psychedelic exploration. It basically like kids now want to become spacemen, which is what they're called. Yeah. Um, and I love that as a little nod, like, you know, now we're able to sort of, we're actually using these people that are addicted to drugs or that have this dependency or have this inclination, and we're now using them for this purpose as well. Like, nobody goes, un, you know, wasted. Um, but I also like the little joke that, uh, um, you know, they are the spacemen. Um, uh, but the, the thing I want to mention was the return of Miracle Man's daughter. Is is a, a wonderful scene because you have Miracle Man as because she's second generation Miracle person. Yes, yeah. And so, like, even in that, like, you see a there's a weakness, there's a there's a sort of a vulnerability in Miracle Man because he sort of um, she comes back and they're talking about stuff, and she's like, "Yeah, I went to this planet, and you know, they sort of put their sort of intelligence into these sort of sex robots and." Uh, I've tried it for a while, but it wasn't for me. And he's like, you're four. <laughs> <laughs> what? And then she describes the, what they have done as redecorating. And he, even he's like, what do you mean redecorating? Like, you pretentious little shit. Like, you know, um, I kind of love that. I just like this sort of this relationship and this discussion that they have. Yeah, and then it ends with her saying, you decided to leave the sky that color, did you? Yeah. Um, and I mean, so this thing in Miracle Man that's so interesting is that Miracle Man is 
the closest to Mike Moran, the human, mm. right? Miracle Woman was abused as part of her origin. Mm-hmm. And she she was even in her action, she was in her introduction, she was much more sexually free. Right. Mm-hmm. So I mean there are problems if you if you want to criticize her portrayal, she's portrayed as this kind of uh, sexual object to a certain degree, but she certainly has agency. Mm. But anyway, she's not a Puritan about sex and she's not as puritanical and not as in love with these human notions. So his reaction to, you know, his daughter having sex is, you know, you know, you're only four is this sort of, you know, dumb human vestige that yeah. has no bearing on this world of, of gods. Um, how how are you applying this? This is really just the vestiges of your dumb, more moral human puritanism. And she's not constrained by that. And Miracle Woman is less constrained by that. And I think that it's interesting because Miracle Man runs this utopia and he creates this utopia. And it makes sense that the person who cares most about humans would want to really do a good job for them. Mm. And there's this line where Miracle Woman says, you know, you know, you're still so attached to these humans. You know, they're they're more like animals compared to us. And and she's quite she is correct. Um, yeah. You know, there's not really much point in arguing about. Do we argue about free will when it comes to our dogs? No. You know, you don't say, you know, you know, I, I, I need your affirmative consent to take you to the vet. No. You know, yeah. we're going to take you to the vet. Here's the food I'm going to give you because it's what's good for you. The doctor said so. Um, so I love that there's this gradation of, as you said, from, from Miracle Man to the sort of second generation uh, and to the real aliens, like the war. Mm. Yeah, it, it just stands out really well. And I think it's a great, it's this great notion of to like who he was, because he still tries to sort of connect to his, his ex-wife, you know, um, uh, Liz. Um and she really sort of says, like, you know, basically, like, get out, like, you know, you... And she has a really good line, because he's trying to... They can now have their own... Everyone can have their miracle bodies. Like, they can do this thing. And um, she says, he says to her, you know, look, come on, you don't understand what you're turning down. And she says, no, you've forgotten what you're giving up. And so there is this idea of, sort of, um, he has... In doing all this stuff, all, all this fantastic stuff, like, he is a god. I mean, that, that's a turning point, really. That, that conversation is a turning point in the book. Is that thing of, like, well, you, you've lost your humanity you know not in a bad way not that you've you know you haven't lost your sort of like your goodness but you've lost the connection from the human experience you know you are now separate from us so don't try and come and tell me that what i can have because you know there's two sides to this coin like you know michael moran was a man he had a he had a history he had a, a life and that's gone to be replaced by you. And I find that really interesting as well, that there is this thing, this acknowledgement of like, no, being human is not all bad. You know, trying to keep telling us we could be as good as you as the gods. It's, it's sort of a, you know, it's, um, I don't know. There's just something there for me. That's like, you know, don't keep telling us how crap we are. Yeah. I've always struggled with this sequence. I've always struggled with it. I've struggled with, you know, and it's this question that lingers at the end of this issue as Miracle Man sits at the top of Olympus, mm. this wonderful structure that's been built in the remains of London. Um, 
you know, to give the gods a home. And he is is wondering about, including why why Liz said no. Um, I wonder about that. I, I mean, to me, I think this is a world of opportunity. Yes, you're losing your money, you're losing your or whatever you think is is valuable, but you're gaining these other things. And this is the world now. And it's a lot better than what we had before Get with the program. Again, why are you attached to these dumb human notions like free will, which is a stupid concept to begin with, but certainly is an abstract one that matters less than, um, um, you know, kids having food and things like that, Mm -hmm. let alone us having superhuman bodies. I want one. Um, So I, I sort of struggle with this. I think that what I don't struggle with is I don't struggle with the overall arc of their relationship. Mm. And when Miracle Man starts, Mike Moran is a sort of uh, photographer for a newspaper, and he sort of um, feels emasculated by the fact that his wife makes more money uh, yeah. or his, you know, his other makes more money than um, than he does. And then he becomes Miracle Man, and Miracle Man is so powerful. Uh, meanwhile, Mike Moran is like, okay, I got to take out the trash again. I can't do any of these things. You love sex with my alter ego, with, you know, Shazam. Yeah. But, you know, I'm a kid. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, what? I'm inferior. And so Mike Moran still struggles. And the end of that arc comes, I think, in, in 14, just before that climax, as um, Mike Moran, you know, has been injured. His injuries don't heal. And he writes, he goes into the mountains and he writes a suicide note and says Kimoda and transforms into Miracle Man and Miracle Man materializes and then reads this note that basically says, yeah, don't ever summon me back again. Yeah. Um, And that's heartbreakingly sad, Mm. but I think it is correct right i mean that person who unless they become a super villain essentially they have to give up and say yeah no this is your world now there's not really a lot of point to me being yeah, around he, he serves no purpose you know the and one so, people- so liz is like attached to um mike moran and she mm. you know here miracle man sort of over it and she's like oh you're screwing miracle woman and he's like yeah, yeah look i'm not as sexually liberated as her but it's sex. We're gods. Well, you know, what do you want? I still love you. I'm at your house. I'll yeah. bump you up in this program. You'll get a miracle body. And she still says no. Um, why? It's just like you say I, I something's been lost. But what, what's been lost? To, to me, the thing is, it's, a, it's almost like a tr- there's a trauma there that she hasn't had. And she can't talk to anyone about it like her experience of this is different to everybody else's i mean there will be people one of the things i think that's not addressed in this book which i was going to mention later on but is the people that are impacted by the fight that i think would be impacted would be mentioned today mm-hmm. so there's people that like survived that would have lost limbs would have lost loved ones would have lost their house and all this other stuff and i'm sure miracle man has rehoused them and all this other stuff but like there's a trauma to having lived through that fight There'd be a resentment. Like, yeah, it's giving you all this stuff, but yeah, but I still saw him pick up a car with a family in it and trounce it into the into the side of King Miracle Man. Like, I saw the carnage. I'm completely, you know, warped by that. 
Um, but for Liz as well, the thing we forget is we just talked about Miracle Man's daughter. It's also Liz's daughter. Right. And so when she's what you've lost, yeah, you had a child that became more ethereal and, and basically more intelligent than you by the age of four, by the age of five, actually, in this case. So she, she's had this experience of having her husband and her daughter leave her and be, you know, elevated above what she can ever achieve. Mm-hmm. And so I think to me, I, 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 there's a part of me that takes that conversation as almost like petulance, as sort of like, you know, you don't know what you've left behind. I'm, I'm not, I don't want what you've got. You know, I'm, I'm going to cling to this because I've already lost every, you know, you, 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 you took away my child. You took away my husband. Mm-hmm. I'm clinging to this because it's the only thing I've got. And I think there's a part of that. And mm-hmm. so I understand her grief in that sense. That, that, that's sort of how I read feed that, that scene. Um, and the fact he can't understand it validates the fact that he has distanced himself from the human experience. You know, he's going, look, 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 I'm trying to give you something cool. Like, it's almost like, look, I can give you a brand new car and all this other stuff. Like, look, you, you're not listening. You know, you're not thinking about everything that we've gone through together. To then come and live with you in this mountain, this Olympus, you know, is is too much. Um, so, you know, right. I think she's yeah, cool to articulate that. I think I think yeah, and I think I think more could do could do more there in terms of that mm. psychology. I think you're right that there's a kind of petulance to it, and of course you're absolutely right about sort of like you know you've t- taken my husband away, you've taken my daughter away. Here is and this is I mean, you know the other thing I love about this whole series is the sense of inevitability. This mm. is where every superhero story is going in one way or another is to issue fifteen or sixteen. Do you dare go there? And what is your take on it? Those are the only questions. You know, if you don't even get there, you know, all right, well, maybe you're a fun little rump, but, you know, you're certainly not adding anything. Mm. Um, And in the same way, you know, when her husband turns into a superhero, it's great. She, you know, is dating this, this man who's sparkling and magnificent and godly. And, you know, this is where it would end up. Yeah, yeah, Superman is not gonna, you know, it's like, yeah, he might love Lois Lane, but he is going to, you know, have some some birthing matrix that's gonna pop out his Kryptonian, you know, pure-blooded babies. He's gonna mm-hmm. have God all over the universe, and, and he's gonna be like, yeah, you understand, this is my species, right? Yeah. Like, you know, this is more important. You know, I'm so, so sorry that I'm offending you by keeping the Kryptonian race alive. I mean, I'm being a bit mean, and Superman would no doubt be nicer than that. But I mean, inevitably, that's you're going to be alienated from from that person, from that amazing opportunity uh, yes. to be with that person. And so I, it feels right, uh, but it also it also I think cements this idea of humans are difficult, and there's oh there's always going to be a complaint. Nobody is going to be. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. Thank you for this utopia. You know, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That's the thing. They completely. The other thing I think more gets that because the other thing is they understand about what people are, um, and and you know, and so what Miracle Man and, the, and his sort of posse do is they take on these sort of like archetypal roles as well, because people, you know, it gives someone gives the human race something to sort of like. A point of reference. You know, like, oh, okay, we are going to use mythological archetypes to to 
to ground this so that you know weirdly to to give people an understanding and a framework with which to understand this you know so um uh, avril uh the, the the black guy takes on the you know um the the aspect of uh oh no so avril sorry that's the miracle woman takes on the role of Avril aphrodite um the you know the the, the, the i don't know his name now huey huey moon took yeah. charge of meeting the earth's needs so he becomes like the earth god um fire starter character yes yeah moors becomes like hades and so on and so mm -hmm. forth and then sort of like uh, british bulldog uh the, the british bulldog who was big ben um you know becomes like this hercules kind of figure sort of you know half god half human even having a bulldog sort of on his head which is hilarious and they fit into these archetypal roles and you know i, I like the fact that like well yeah for us to sort of it, for us to fit into this, there has to be a mythology around us, and that's probably going to, you know, be written in some cases by the people below us. And it'd probably be false in some cases, but that's going to be the case. So, yeah. Well, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's amazing how much more puts into these thirty-two pages, and how much he <laughs> thinks about all of those things. Um, both of us are fans of the, the Neil Gaiman run that follows. Mm. And it is astounding how everything in the that first golden age comes out of this and comes out of those those ideas that in some cases are just a few panels. Um, as, the you know, for example, Miracle Woman as Aphrodite sets people up and basically runs a like matchmaking service. It's like yeah. people are lonely. We we are gods. We're able to really find people who are compatible for them. This is a phenomenal service. I think the that the whole like pantheon thing is the of course is the title title of the issue, but it's also mm. um, the theme that runs throughout uh, this book three, right? Uh, as yes. they achieve godhood status and. I think, you know, provides a lot of, of, you know, sort of epic resonance. Some of it works better than others. I think Moore's and Hades, you know, reviving Andy Warhol is, is great. And, you know, that whole sequence is great. Um, I think the, the Aphrodite thing is great. I don't know that they have to make themselves into these, these versions of, you know, gods that people can relate to. But, you know, it, it, it works for me. Mm. Uh, does, it, does it hang you up? No, no, I love it. I think it works really well. I think it, it may. I think it would be something that you do. You get, you know, if you, especially sort of, you know, it seems to happen almost um, naturally. Like, it, 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 you know, at no point do they actually say we had a meeting and we decided to take on these roles. It sort of just happens, and people sort of fit them into these roles. And I kind of like that. And that's, I do like the Andy Warhol thing. It leads to one of my favourite issues of, mm. of Neil Gaiman's run. Um, so yeah, no, I think it works well. I love this idea that they're like, no, no, we we do, we took on these roles. We, we you know, it, it allowed us to sort of to to move within this sort of framework and stuff. And so because it's called Olympus, like you know, as you said they are, they are literally building the, the the mountain of the gods. Um, so I do like that. Um, something I like less, which I struggled <laughs> with, and I'm, I'm, there are very few things I would nitpick about this issue because it's it is absolutely fantastic and that's actually the very beginning so in my in the, hmm. the i've got the one the, the, the re-release from 2015 so i assume it was in the others um it says yeah. it's been five years since my rebirth though i'd suspected that the people would in some way make the make the anniversary mark the anniversary 
I'd hoped rather uncharitably they would uh, not see fit to sacrifice small goats to children in my name. Or, or you know, it's then so as it transpired, I was quite touched. They made a bonfire on the wasteland that was once Trafalgar Square, and on it heaped their comic books, their films and novels filled with horror, science fiction, fantasy, and as it burned, they cheered. Cheered as the curling, burning pages fluted up into the night, cheered to be done with the times when wonder was a sad and wretched thing made only out of paper, out of celluloid. And there's a part of me that thinks, like, you're writing this in a comic. Mm -hmm. And even after, I would say, even after knowing what people are like, you know, people are people, even after this happening, I think you would probably have more science fiction and fantasy and stuff because people be like, well if this is possible then we can do other things and you'd have fan fiction about you know well you definitely have slash fiction about some of these characters um so yeah. I, don't, I don't know but it almost feels like there's there's and i don't know i sort of know what Moore's trying to do but it just that that paragraph irks me yeah well i think the burning of books is very dystopian and it's arresting mm-hmm. It's always arresting in anything. And I think it hints right away at that dystopian edge that's always there to any utopian prospect and that Mm. more in this issue is is very aware of. Um, Having said that, I do do love that idea of uh, sort of, we don't need these anymore. Um, But I'll get back to that in a second. But I, I know what you mean about practically speaking that people would still write fiction about superheroes if anything more you know and the apocrypha miniseries that takes place between gaiman's golden age and silver age is framed about that i mean it's miracle man reading comics about Mm. him and his his pantheon and then critiquing them at the end of the (laughs) issue after he's, he's read them as wonderful but i i know what you mean the sort of same thing happens in watchmen that because there are real superheroes, more imagines that that wouldn't be interesting and that we'd have a comic industry dominated by pirates, which is also mm. sort of thumb in the eye at the one genre industry. But is it you know, necessarily realistic? As you say, if, if Dr. Manhattan is real, if Miracle Man's real, you'd have more fiction about them. Well, the, 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 only, yeah, the only thing I would say is when we were ju- during the space race, and we were planning to go to the moon, and we made it to the moon. We got more science fiction, and we, you know, mm-hmm. in fact, science fiction and space fiction became mainstream in many cases. So, yeah, you know, that that's sort of how I see it. I think you know, more sees things in a slightly more cynical way. I think than than um, I think is justifiable in this. But yeah, you know. I mean, I, I, but I do love this idea of sort of what are superheroes stories doing. Because this is a comic that sort of takes the idea of the superhero to the nth degree, right? Mm-hmm. To, to the um, inevitable conclusion and spends at least 34 pages uh, exploring that. But it also dares to get at what is it that appeals to us about these fantasies in the first place, right? That we, the, the world is so flawed. It's mm. a relief to go to a cinema and watch whatever, right? Spider-Man swinging around, right? And somebody who believes in truth and honor and people going on, you know, 
Indiana Jones-like adventures and finding lost cities and, you know, this joyous world of fantasy and wonder while we live in squalor and disappointment. Mm. Of course, that's not reality. The world isn't all bad. But in that sort of paradigm, um, this issue both begins and ends with a refrain. Um, Again, so literary. Right after what, what you read is this description of uh, how flawed those that old world was mm. um, using the the repeated phrase I dream yeah I dream of cities that old futurists would weep with joy to see of wharfside neighborhoods where tough kids track down spies where crumbling tenements contort to teetering and eccentric shapes that seem to spell out world words against the night and we all know that's newsboy legion that's the spirit you know i mean we all reference you know we all know these references um and it seems you know miracle man has been informed by comics right Mm -hmm. um gargunza who made him was informed by comics in these dumb stories and you know made this dumb fantasy world for them to inhabit that resembles the comics of old and at the end um Miracle Man is talking not about what he dreams of, but rather what he's at this point built. And the refrain is, look up and, Mm. you know, look what humanity can do and can achieve. And, you know, here, of course, it's been done from outside. This Mm. is, you know, in some sense, the opposite of an enlightenment idea that we have to manage our world, stop looking to God. Yeah, no, your God's real, right? Thor's real. He should be doing this. We can't yeah. look to a God because he's in, you know, outside our window, right? He's not, I don't have to dia, diagram a, you know, a purgatory in heaven and hell from Dante to, to locate God. He's, he's outside. He'd like to meet you. Um, and so in some sense, I'm troubled by that. But, you know, whether this is ultimately a positive statement in that sense, but it does it does bring that pain that I think for me, going back to Flash number one to tie it all together, I was a messed up kid. I mean, Mm. I was in a sort of, you know, loving but abusive household and, um, you know, felt incredibly alienated and alone and. I was able to retreat into this, not retreat, but but to live in this fantasy world of comics and superheroes and, and mm-hmm. science fiction mm. and all of this. And that was therapeutic for me. Um, but the pain of that is that that was so appealing because I was in so much pain. It was wonderful because the world I lived in was not so great in a lot of ways and and i really hated myself and felt uncool and felt you know was bullied and and you know being smart and and weird was never (laughs) gonna lead to a good life in you know southern rural illinois um and so i think that pain comes out uh in both the sort of i dream of and that Mm -hmm. gulf between Mm. reality in these comics and also you know, sort of look up and, and that pain of, yeah, maybe we can't as humans make Olympus and make Miracle Man a reality, but we can make a lot of these things actually happen with the economy and, and things like this. There's a lot that we can do and we can fix and we choose not to do it. We yeah. manifestly choose not to give a shit. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Those pages when they have those monologues around this thing of like, no, you look, it, like you said, the money doesn't work, doesn't exist. Drugs are clearly, there's a, there's a root here. There's a knock-on effect. There's a ripple effect for all of this. Change this one thing and you can change everything else. Um, and, I, and I do, I find that fascinating. And, and it, you know, more, you know, really is... <laughs> For firing on all cylinders in this case, I mean, you know, this is one of the things, and I'll we'll finish on this before we move on to the, the, the final book. But you and I have said this before because we've talked about Miracle Man before. Um, and the fact of the matter is that, like, you know, Alan Moore is, is, is one of my favorite writers. I really like his Swamp Thing. I do like Watchmen. I like, um, you know, there's other bits and pieces that he's done. From Hell, he's fantastic. But, but for weirdly, like, as, 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 a, as a piece, as a piece, of as you know, it's a literary comic, and as a, as an inevitable conclusion told within a three book series, Miracle Man to me is is possibly his best work. And you know, I know there are people um, that have picked it up recently and have sort of worked through it and stuff. And and it's one of those that sort of like you know it still baffles me why this never gets you know they talk about sort of like best best comic runs or better than like why is miracle man never on these bastard lists because <laughs> like it, it baffles I, I, me. I, I, I don't know but uh the stuff that is is often flabbergasting and i'll read like mm. top 10 comics good luck i mean I'm, okay i'm sorry if people like it but good luck reading hickman's x-men stuff I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's filled with ideas. I have no idea, you know. I mean, it's filled with good sequences that don't connect, yeah. um, and and that's and that's good. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is, I mean, not good that that uh, somehow gets praised. Not that there isn't a tremendous amount of good stuff being done, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Miracle Man is, isn't paid enough attention. I do feel bad for not including like. Uh, Grant Morrison. I've been so mm. influenced by Grant Morrison. Um, you know, I, I do feel bad for not including a billion things on, on the, the list, right? The last issue of Doom Patrol. But I yes. thought, okay, if I'm on a desert island, do I want to read the last issue of Doom Patrol and a story about <laughs> suicide over and over again? Uh, probably not. I'm prone to suicidal thinking anyway. <laughs> I probably don't need that pounded into my head on a desert island. Um, Whereas with this, not only because I, I've read Gaiman, I think that so you know every page in this seems to suggest a whole other story, right? Yes. And and I want to write those stories. It sends your mind off spiraling mm. into these sublime sort of thoughts and cubby holes of of possible stories and histories, alternate histories, and it's delightful in that way and and benefits repeat reading. But I thought, okay. You know, uh, yeah, Miracle but, Man should get more attention, and yes. I'm willing to take it to my desert island to yeah. read this issue. And it is, it is fantastic. If anything, like reading this, I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't read it for like at least eighteen months, two years. I think I need to pull it out again and, and read this again. Um, and you know, we are supposed to be getting you know, mm. Gaiman has written it. You know, it's it's a, it's being drawn. So you know, please Marvel, pull your flipping finger out and give us. Um, it, yeah, the continuation. It's, it's not at all clear what's going on there. And we keep reading like the first several issues are, are drawn and done and how the workflow is working. And then it, 
doesn't appear. I remember doing uh, when we did that Miracle Man. What year was that? That Miracle Man episode? Yeah, it was about probably 18 months ago, two years ago, something like that. Okay, and, and, and you said, well, you know, there, I, I read it. It's coming out later this year. And I, and I thought, yeah, you know, yeah. I sort of read that a lot before. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the problem is this is fantastic work. And, and I don't know that it, I mean, it's not selling compared to, um, you know, Wolverine has uh, magic teleportation powers or, or whatever <laughs> the fuck they're doing now and is dying for the fourth time. Who the who the fuck knows and who the fuck cares? Mm. Um, so, all right, I'm a bitter old man. But no, I, we we yeah. are both in the pitch. Though. If you're not yeah. reading Miracle Man, you should have read Miracle Man. But let's move on to the final book then. So to um, finally this, this, to a good writer. Yeah, this book this book uh, bitter old man writes comics. I think. Uh, <laughs> but um, we have got uh, oh Christ, I'm going to try to pull up. There you go. So uh, yeah, Kim at Ren. Uh, Number five, written by yourself, Julian, um, drawn by Andre Cigar. Uh, actually, do you know what? You tell me because I'm not pronouncing some of these names. Okay, um, I, I mean, I don't know that I've I've asked. To, I, I always pronounce it Andre Surigar. Um, <laughs> he's Indonesian. He's good. The art in this is great. So give give me uh, so uh, yeah so Kim at Ren. My, my, I, I will give my thing having read this afternoon um and then we will sort of um look some more but basically kimo is a a robot um uh, that uh, is from the mars society and, and i'm unsure how but it's, it's basically now part of a um a troop of i hate to use the word but freaks circus freaks um and the issue opens with the conjoined twins one of the conjoined twins, a yin and yang situation where, where one of the twins dies um, and the other one sort of, um, you know, is still alive. Uh, and and Kimo sort of offers and says, well, I, I, you know, I may have the skills to, to separate them and actually save one of them. And they, they make the choice of no, well, no, it's not, it's not up to us. It's up to her whether she wants to be separated. And then there is this basically sort of dialogue around, understanding what death is and, and why you would make these choices and then this idea of being close to god um and this fantastic I, I, i'm gonna prom, i'm gonna try not to praise you too much i don't want to be you know don't even... don't hold back that you know the audience needs to hear you know <laughs> the truth you deserve to get they deserve that from you my friend uh, well th th this idea this artificial intelligence this robot that exists it's not in robots sorry it is just an ai that is basically built just to think and and you know it, it gets to a point where even to communicate with it extensively like we, we is impossible now because it has gone beyond these things it, it, you would need as it says um basically you would need categories of knowledge that are so far out of our sort of remit at the moment that like you couldn't communicate with this thing anymore um and even like small things like it just tells us like oh yeah build this structure you know, build these structures and, and, you know, just don't ask, just build them. And it basically reorganizes the way that this, the, the society works and then has a ripple effect and this other stuff. And then they can connect with it. And this is the thing, this idea of, of being able to connect with the living God, uh, I found really interesting. Um, but it's this idea of then of also this idea of, of acceptance of death 
of well yeah you you can connect this is what i talk about you can connect with your living god or you have this experience of connecting with your living god we don't have that as i assume it's a, obviously a christian belief system um but we have faith and we, we believe this sort of thing and we celebrate people for this so it was it's a touching issue but I, and i do like the ideas in it um but yeah, it, that sort of you know that's sort of it in a nutshell. It, it ends with the funeral of, of Daisy and 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 Dottie, uh, the the sort of the twins. Um, but yeah, tell, tell, first off, tell me about Kim Oat Ren. So who is Kim Oat Ren? Well, like you said, I mean he's he's an alien from <laughs> from Mars, from yeah. the whole larger Martian universe that I've created with Martian comics and and whatnot. And this was the first spinoff title to Martian comics. Um. It it's it opens with an action sequence of sort of mutiny on a flying saucer and then him rescuing his his master from the flying saucer in an upside down sequence and I'm being really ambitious you know <laughs> and and, uh, and eventually he gets picked up by this this traveling freak show uh, if you will and and you know then he gets integrated with it and the the idea of the comic is sort of um, it's it's like the last thing that you'd want to do with a, an alien android in the old west, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it's about uh, this outsider finding community with this other group of all outsiders, all of whom are lying to the public in their presentations, but are also to some degree, you know, lying to each other and to themselves. Um, but but who have to sort of present a certain face to the public. Many of them are not really what they pretend to be, right? Mm. So like um, Michael Michelle is not in fact a hermaphrodite. You know, this was yeah. this was what they did in these shows is they would present things. Um, uh, Violet Chintana is not really from Africa impersonating a tribeswoman on stage. Mm. Um, and so this way in which not just outsiders, but but everybody has to present this socially acceptable face and these realms of society in which certain things are acceptable that would not be acceptable anywhere else, right? You can be celebrated for being, you know, having no arms on stage in this context. You can't control how you're celebrated for that. And I think that, you know, as somebody who has always felt as an outsider this this idea of how we find how we sublimate those feelings how we find uh ways to adapt to society ways to be praised ideally successful ideally for those same things that make us forever separate and struggling um it touches me deeply and so kimat ren at this point is Officially, what he's doing is he's been told to blend in because he can't reveal that there's a civilization on Mars. Right. Mm -hmm. But he's been caught. So they think he's an automaton built by some eccentric, you know, uh, person and um, sort of integrate him with the show. And so he looks more primitive on stage than he does in this issue, right? They actually make him look, put these like kind of steam pumps on him, you know, to, <laughs> because people won't believe it if, if, if too, it's too a real hard. thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we have to give a presentation of us that is dumber than we really are. 
But I think I, I certainly identify with that. I mean, you know, half of, you know, the intelligent women I've known have had to do that just to get by. Um, so, yeah, that and Kim Ot Ren at this point is still following that sort of blending in thing. And uh, but you realize faster than he does that he really has come to care for. And this isn't just like what he's doing to bide his time because he's been on a, he's on a mission. Mm-hmm. You know, this is he has come to care for these people. Yeah, and it's it, it starts to show in this um, in this issue. I mean, you know, like say his his, his first instinct. You know, that, there's a human response from the the people around them when when uh, uh, Daisy's died, but his response is sort of like, well, no, I I can help her live. You know, it's sort of, um, and it, it seems that he his response is sort of almost robotic and he uh, but i like the fact he acknowledges a lot of this stuff there's no sort of um you know what you've do, what you've you've done is you haven't gone down the data route or like you know the, the typical star route to, you know even like you know red dwarf made fun of it like you know is this the emotion we call friendship there's none of that it's, it's like he's just, he is quite logical but he's still sort of like well no i I could save her. Like, you know, their circulatory system are limited. Daisy is almost certainly going to die. Um, I believe I could save her. And so he's, he's, the confusion is, why aren't you letting me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, it's but in, in, at no point does he, you know, enforce, I'm sure he could, but, you know, been a, a, an Android, he could probably enforce it, but he never does. Um, and so there becomes this discussion about, um, you know, even if you did, you know, save her, like you're sort of not, because since birth, they have had this, they have been in, for want of a better phrase, been in each other's face their entire lives, and then to not have that, you know, could be too much. She, she she's not just grieving for her sibling; she's grieving for her way of life. Um, or she's terrified of this new life that we face. So, um, yeah, I found that all really interesting. That this, this idea, this notion of like, no, it's not just about saving her. But it's about like you know, saving her might not be the the most merciful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the trauma could be too much. Um, you know, in the long run. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for me, this is this is also a metaphor for you know, imagining somebody else's experience. And I mean, you and I are, are white dudes, right? Yeah. Um, uh, women who were assigned women at, at birth uh, have a different biology that goes through processes that we do not go through and that we yeah. have to imagine and try to understand, but that, you know, are not innate. And those and that changes your point of view. Mm-hmm. And in reverse is the reverse is true, too. Um and I think that, you know, it can be difficult to to understand somebody else's experience. And I think that that is that is also the I mean, the title of this is, I think, ambitious. You know, we are all connected, you know, mm-hmm. a, a philosophical statement and, and, you know, risks using that that metaphor of the Siamese twins, you know, um, for this desire to to help to be connected with others and the ways in which all of us i mean it seems to me the central thing about being alive is that we don't know anybody else's experience 
we we yeah. have this headspace that nobody really knows. We can articulate our suffering. We, nobody knows if we're exaggerating, how much we're hiding. Um, you know, we cannot ever communicate to somebody else what it's like to be us. And at the same time, we crave that connection and we crave that connection to others. And we can try to imagine and construct a sort of mock up in our heads of what it's like, you know, inside Scott's brain. Mm -hmm. um, but all I ever see is just the tip of the iceberg. And I have to draw those lines down to imagine what the rest of that iceberg is like. But I can only see these little indications, these these little suggestions. And that to me is such a central part of being alive. It's it's one of the reasons why I like transgressive literature, which this is not, but you know, that's always fascinated by this, by this desire to connect to others and this inability to fully do so. No, I, I, I like that and I agree with that. Like this idea of, of um, individual experiences and, and I say that thing of, of trying, to, trying to see things from another person's point of view. One of the things my dad used to say to me quite a lot when I was a kid was, you know, especially more so when I was becoming an adolescent, was like, you know, there's no point in getting annoyed with some people because they're all on a journey. You don't know what that journey is like what's brought them to this point they don't know what your journey is that's brought you to this point either and they are very very different and they're going to be fueled by different experiences and different sort of you know um information those that you but you have been brought to this point and all you will know is what is presented to you but you will never know what that full journey is and you've got to understand that that like you know you you cannot ever know that but like you say it's which makes it hard to uh to, to see things from other people's experiences or from other people's points of view because from what you know sometimes you can go oh well, like you said you know we, you and i um two sort of like you know white guys with it with similar nerd experiences and similar sort of like you know but even that more than that i'm british you're american that in itself comes with cultural separation you know there, there are different things we were joking about this before about sort of like our school experiences yours was a you know you can be anything you could be the president of the united states and ours in the british thing was like you'll be lucky if you can work in the coal mine you little bastard um so it's it's a different kind of experience but that you 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 know cultural has it again you go on this journey and so i like this idea that like, he then gives you you know commitment actually sort of says he gives some information he gives this journey of his his society and again there's parts of that that he's saying like you know um yeah we were we were built with a purpose but then we could break that program to become the sort of like to go beyond that some couldn't handle that like their journey was to sort of throw themselves off a building you know they couldn't deal with this idea of being purposeless or breaking this 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 notion and so again like you say about this this idea of, of going from other people's experiences it's sort of it's not just i like the fact that you haven't just uh said you know, yes, we are going to give you the human experience, and you know, you don't understand what the human experience is. It's, it flips around and says, "Well, actually, yeah, I come from a society too, and this is how we came about." And so, you have got no point of reference for this society that I come from, where we did all this, and people worshipped a big red, like crystal thing on top of a stick. Tunisia. You know, 
Yeah, and so that, I love that's that. that's my complaint was you know when we were reviewing Westworld season three, I was like, hold on. They ripped off my comics, you know, because there's this sort of geodesic dome that's a super AI. It's got a really creepy eye as well, which was, was like, I, you know, if that was watching me, it would creep me out. But again, like, you know, I like the fact that, like, it's not just um, the human experience, which gets sort of like vaulted as being this sort of like, you know, the pinnacle of like the human experience. He's like, no, no, in our world, like, I can have a, I can basically dive into the living memories of my society by connecting to my God. And more than that, when we are about to pass, that's what we do for the final time. That's part of the ritual. Like it is alien and it is weird and all this other stuff, but it's sort of like, and I like the fact that, and I miss it. I, I miss being a part of, of that, of that world. So it's a bit, it, it shows two different experiences. Like it's easy for, I know it sounds daft because there are, there are, you know, they say it's in the it's in the Wild West. It's a, it's a freak show, and so they have to go. I can't I can't relate to how they would live, but it's a human experience. It's still a human experience. So I love the fact you you have shown more than that. And actually, what's the sorry? What's the what's the character called? Who's talking to him? The the black lady. What's her name? Violet Shintana is her stage name. Yeah. Even she like you know she she doesn't sort of like try and over sort of you know over sort of um. Uh, I'm trying she to, says, I, I don't believe a thing you've said. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, but like, and he says, "Good, you know, sort of, you know, that makes sense." Um, you know, um, he's like, "I don't know how you could. It's totally different. You, you know, how could you? You've got no point of reference for this." Uh, she says, you know, but I'm glad you told me. But she doesn't sort of shout him down. She's not like, you know. Well, you're on Earth now, and this is where you know this is the way it's got to be. Well, this is a human experience. You've got to learn, you know, you know. Come on, Crichton, you've got to learn the human way of doing things. <laughs> it's none of that. It is just a sort of like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't believe that. That's too crazy. Um, I've got no point of reference for that, and so I do like the fact that it, it highlights it from both sides, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and she boils it down to sort of like. The, the deeper metaphor of not feeling connected, right? Of yeah. being disconnected from from God and, and and from your your place, imagined or not, where you fit, mm. uh, where you come from. Um, yeah, and you know, even earlier, she sort of uh, you know challenges him and says like, you know, you can't. Um, you know, he says like, well, why don't you just change, right? She. If she survived separate from her twin, who she's shared every moment with of her entire life, you know, uh, you have to adapt, you know. And uh, there's this sort of challenge about experience of sort of, um, yeah, it's easy. For, she says it's easy for you to say. And he says, I assure you it's not. Yeah. He's, you know, just been on a flying saucer six months ago or something. <laughs> um and and she says like yeah you don't know where I've been you know uh, and 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 is it I, I hate to I'm really concerned about presentism I you know I hate when somebody makes like the full throated uh, feminist speech in the 1800s you know um, <laughs> but you know here's a here is a black woman who can say you don't know my experience yeah and and. Put at least this android, which you know, that's you know, there's all these issues with relative status, 
but can sort of shut that idea down. Um, but but also does it in a way that it doesn't feel to me uh, post me too or something. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. to me um, unrealistic or or charged with some sort of line that's you know I think no, no that's not the way it would be phrased. Yeah, it's time it's timeless, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah, dialogue is dialogue. You couldn't, and this is one of the things I always find funny. You couldn't actually write dialogue from that era because people would barely be able to read it because you, you've got to modernize the dialogue. It's just, mm-hmm. you know... It's always really... a translation, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a joke in an earlier issue is, you know, the, the, the most popular curse word at the time was tarnation. Yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, if you have people say tarnation all the time, that sounds like they sound like Yosemite Sam or something. You know, it doesn't read like, oh, shit, you know, you think yeah. just got real. Like, you... You know, but it was a very puritanical, repressed society in some ways. And that was like, tarnation, that's referring to God. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Because, again, like you say, you know, you can read books from the, you know, from this period. Um, I, re- I recently read, um, well, I've read a couple of things. But, you know, if you even if you read sort of like any, like read Charles Dickens and then try and say, right, I'm going to translate that and show you a, a book that really shows you that dialogue. It never works. But so, so yeah, but it, it, but like you say, but it doesn't feel, you know, you, you haven't taken a twenty first century woman and plonked her in, um, the old west. The the it feels relatable. It feels it still feels legit, um, which is you know important. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, it's it's it, I am I, I'm going to read some more of this. And I will read some more Kim at Ren, um. Because the, the thing is, like I say, I'm curious as to what's going to happen with this troop. I think, you know, it's again, we've just read um, the first of a series and the last book of a series. We've like we've read um, mm. the the kicking off of a especially the kicking off of an era and the end of an era, really. And this one is smack in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's interesting to sort of see this thing of going like, oh no, this is a story in in train like this is a these are new experiences for the characters and so there's there's a this is still an ongoing kind of situation um and so that in itself is interesting like you know it's not and uh, when we've done this when i've done this before a lot of people have a tendency to pick number ones and this other stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, um but there has been a few that have gone no, no it's number you know picking number 11 because it's this and you sort of go well i, I haven't read one to ten, so I can't get, I can't get all the nuances of the issue, but there are some still really good stuff, and that's the same with this. Like, yeah, there's things in here that I don't know. There's knowledge I don't have, but I can read this, and, and it makes total sense. Um, but it does have this moment of like, I want to know more about like, I'm the the one thing I'm curious about is, as you said, he's a, he's an automaton. You know, he looks different. You know, he looks a little bit uh, like a rat. Not to be, I'm not to be drawn to, but it's like a souped-up C-3PO. Mm. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, like these people seem to be pretty okay with him. <laughs> mm. And I'm going to be honest, at 20, in 2021, if at some point I came across a sort of, an, you know, a, a, an android that was able to converse with me and do these things, not sure how quickly I'd actually be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was there was a history of automatons uh in mm. this era and of course they were not you know sentient speaking no. automatons and they didn't look this sleek um but and, and that is 
sort of highlighted uh, when he's first introduced on stage, and it'll come back a little bit before um, this main storyline ends. Um, and I and I know where it's going, and I have, I have different moments in mind. But um, yeah, the idea is sort of that. Like I mean, I mean, there there was a famous uh, automaton who supposedly played chess. And it was basically mm. a mannequin, and it sat at the chessboard. And in fact, there's a guy underneath in the the table who's using magnets and whatnot to maneuver the board. But people believe this was real, right? Mm -hmm. So people people were ready to believe, like we're at the stage where we could do this. Same thing, New York World's Fair, right? You have the that robot, where people are like, you know, it's programmed with like a couple phrases, you know, yeah. and it's like a you know a scratchy record going like, you know, hello, people. And people were like, oh, it can talk. No, it's just playing, you know, a couple phrases. But people were ready to believe, like, it's here. We're going to have uh, Robbie the Robot tomorrow, right? Yeah. Now, so, but I think that people, people have always been ready to to sort of believe that. And they, they believe that too, there were automatons in ancient times, too. Um, yeah. That people were ready to believe that about. And uh, all of them were kind of... To one I, I love the fact that I, I love the fact that in a society they say this is this was a sort of you know the the the, the old west or the sort of victorian era this era of expansion industrialization and invention and even up to like you know well into the 20th century there was this sort of optimistic view of robots and automatons and sort of like yes we're going to have them ironing our clothes and doing all this other stuff and you know like rosie rosie the housemaid kind of thing Mm -hmm. And now we actually see there was a video released recently of some robots doing parkour, you know, jumping over boxes, yeah. running, around, and everyone's like, "Kill it, kill it now!" <laughs> <laughs> like, this is it. We know what James gonna Cameron is to blame for that. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. Well, well, we just did Miracle Man sixteen, so I mean, I I just want the robots to take over, right? Yeah. Whether it's aliens who come here or robots, you know, I mean. I don't trust an, a human as a benevolent dictator, but we obviously need one because yeah. in the midst of climate change, we're like, ah, how about you guys make the first move for a couple decades and we'll see whether we feel like limping in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> these are, we're not good. We're not smart at some basic stuff. Um, you know, you've got people, you know, starving under bridges or, you know, dying of, you know, AIDS infected needles and we're still debating whether it makes sense to pass out needles and do drug treatment because that's subsidizing addiction. And you know what it is? It is. Mm -hmm. But so what? The alternative is paying more money to deal yes. with, yes. you know, the, the worst problems, including their death, uh, which ripples through the family. You know, so what? I mean, I, I, I'm a lot less bothered by, you know, subsidizing uh you know, uh, pregnancy by having uh, or or women by having uh, breast pumps be paid for mm -hmm. under Obamacare than I am the consequences of not doing that. So let's be a little practical. But we're not good at these things. So no. yeah, I I whether it's the aliens or the the robots, just just let them take over already. Uh, don't I? We, James Cameron has just ruined things for us. Um, no, a Terminator run reality is far better. Skynet 2024. <laughs>
<laughs> I welcome I welcome our robot overlords and <laughs> yeah. It's not wrong. There's a, there's an element of like logic that would be applied that would just make a lot more sense, um, and would make things a lot easier. Um, yes, I, I have commented on the others. Well, I didn't really comment on Miracle Man uh, about the art, um, but it was good. But I will say, I, I sort of mentioned it, but I do want to call out on this that Andre's art on this is 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 excellent. I, you know, I really like it. Um, again, I, I have a thing about expressions um, in art. Uh, where, you know, as we sort of said, some, sometimes some people do struggle with sort of, you know, if a moment, if the dialogue is telling me one thing, but the facial expressions don't quite convey it, 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 it sometimes you know, doesn't work, it can fall flat. Um, but I would say sort of, like, you know, captures especially sort of the first moment when um, the bearded lady, uh, I can't find her name, Betsy. Virgo Fortis. Mm. Her reaction, though, to the death of everything, you know, there's a great shot. Uh, it's not the one where she's got her hands to her face. There's a panel. She's, you know, Daisy needs room. Uh, I do too. But she's got like a hand to just under her nose and stuff. And it sort of it just looks genuine. It, it's really well done. So, you know, I really like the art in this uh, in this issue as well. And the fact it travels from like, the, the old west and some great. You know, I mentioned before about uh, panels with just colour behind them. Sort of, you know, there's lots of nice panels with detail and stuff behind me from the Wild West, straight to a sort of, you know, a robotic futuristic <laughs> society. So you get both. You know, you get some good stuff in there. So um, great thing. And also, sorry, I'm going to call that and I'm going to go back and find the names. Um, yeah, who's the who does the colours? Is uh, Kamaputra. Yeah, colors. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did that. Um, great colors as well. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm learning to appreciate color artists more and more um, as I get older. And I think yeah, the colors in this again are fantastic. So uh, good job all round. Well done. That sounds really patronizing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I'm not an artist. Uh, I I can do art. But I don't consider myself a fine art, a visual artist. Um, I gave that up at around ten when I was encountering <laughs> Flash. Somewhere around there, I, I stupidly decided I couldn't be the best writer and the best artist in the world, and I decided to focus on being the best of one. Mm -hmm. um, in, in a in a dumb linear way, you know, like you get you put in your ten twenty thousand hours, and you're like, yeah, you know, uh, once you're at a certain level. There's no telling, like, who's the best, you know, like, who's the best pianist in the world? Once you get to a certain level, it's like, no, we're all competent, and they have different strengths and weaknesses, and I know who I'm partial to, but, you know, uh, when you're beginning, you think there's a linear thing yeah. or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Andre is is amazing, and uh, he's also a, a very kind person, and at this point, um, you know, we've worked together for six years or something like that um and he he is incredibly kind and i he is as you see just sort of able to illustrate anything mm. and i just throw this stuff at him and i and i love his style it's it's very it's very realistic but it's also very bright and i think yes. that a lot of what i write is really depressed <laughs> and really sad um <laughs> In fact, I'm, I'm toying with a future volume of Martian Comics uh, collected, the collections being called Depressing Space Stories, just as a sort <laughs> of like Amy Mann style, like, you know, 
acknowledgement of how, you know, my stuff is, is kind of depressing and messed up. But all of it looks happy, you know, under Andre's filter. It looks like this is just part of life and you don't, it has, it has a very different effect and he's really quite brilliant. Well, again, it comes to, it's, it's little things of like, you know, taking the easy option, like this character dies, they're going to have a funeral. How often have we seen funerals in the rain? Da, da, da. Nope, this is in bright sunshine because it's actually not just, a, you know, it is a death and it's tragic in this, in, for this, for this, this group, this family. But actually, like, there's an acknowledgement of like, you know, there's that panel of like them being together. It's a celebration. And then the talk is of how wonderful these, you know, yeah, they fought and did the stuff, but they got on really well. So, it, you know, having it in broad daylight is, you know, is, is, is much better. And I'm saying the colors are fantastic as well. So, they work. It works as a sort of a counterpoint because they're easy options. Going, yeah, we've got to draw a few and it's got to look. It's got to look depressing. I've got to convey emotion through the weather or through the sort of like the colours have got to be drab or whatever. Like, no, yeah, they're all wearing black, but it doesn't mean the grass becomes less green or sort of the sky becomes less blue. So, well, also having been through death, uh, I mean. When you watch somebody's coffin being lowered into the ground, there's such, I mean, obviously what obsesses about death is the finality and the fact that we're not going to speak to this person again. And people can claim that they believe in a wonderful afterlife, but, you know, not really, or you wouldn't really be crying and saying, you know, mm. I'm not going to, you know, you should be happy um, there in heaven if that's what you believe. Um, you know, that aside, I think the most amazing thing about death is just how how you know how matter of fact it is, mm. and and I think that seeing it on that sunny day and and the way you take the time to really watch her be put in the ground, and you take that time to linger on those moments and just one thing after another where it's not just you know you could do this in one panel and just have a caption like you know. The burial, you know, sort of end of Royal Tenenbaums, like the burial occurred on this date and, yeah, you know, and then we let, but it, it's that, it's that finality. It's, it's those details. And, and just, I think that sunshine is, you're right that it can be read as happy. It's also just sort of matter of fact. We don't need mm. the whole universe responding to this death. Sometimes it's just, it is what it is and what it is, is so to stare at death in the face is so horrible and final and sad and at the same time that's all any of us have well you know we all just get a life and yeah yeah you know, let, let, end like, it on our terms yeah and let but like i say in a comic let the characters convey that let's let's look at it in that way so um yeah no you know it's good it's, it's really good i really enjoyed it um but anyway, any final thoughts on on you know you want to sort of anything you want to highlight about coming out ren or any of the other issues before we uh well, besides everybody should should go out and buy everything Martian Lit publishes. Um, <laughs> I, I like the I like the fact that I'm able to get into a little atheist jibe here <laughs> um, <laughs> without it being wrong for the plot, right? Um, and that you know other characters' religion is respected, but there's this description of what and I did a lot of research into conjoined twins and and various stories about them and. Uh, it really was common for people to say this was a curse from God. 
Mm. And, you know, to make money by exhibiting these children and, you know, sell them. They were abused and all of this. And um, uh, Violet Chintana tells this this story. And Kim Out Ren is just sort of standing there and she says, what are you thinking? And he says, I think matter of factly with this sort of like absolute honesty <laughs> of an alien, I think any set of beliefs that spurs a mother to treat her own daughter that way isn't evil. Is that yeah. not obvious? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think about this so often. You know, not that I, I do think there are plenty of good things that that come out of religion too, but I think that sometimes we forgive the bad things, and um, you know, I like to imagine a world in which we feel more connected, and we know that we uh, we are connected to each other's suffering, and that um, it's not that the suffering of my neighbor necessarily diminishes me but encountering it and seeing it certainly diminishes me certainly hurts me um whether i know it or not and it does not um hurt me if they get a little health care or a little hand yeah. up or yeah. you know a little something yeah because you know that's it we we are one group and you know yeah you know we we're all just looking to survive and to have a to live a life and you know if it doesn't if it doesn't affect me i'm not going to lose anything out so why shouldn't we be looking to help those people that do need it um yeah did, did you know one final thing did you notice the two crosses at the end uh on the, on know, the hill yes yeah that the grave has two crosses and that was really you know not to annotate it but that was really important to me of sort mm. of like that's a big point for me at the end, like that they that the way they saw themselves as two yes, individuals, individuals was honored by the truth. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that there were, you know, a lot of conjoined twins who got thrown into a grave and that grave might say Daisy and Dottie, but it's got one headstone, you know, <laughs> and I like, you know, well, maybe it applies to trans rights or self-determination. Mm. But I'm thinking the, the, the one story I know of is yin and yang. The, the Chinese um, conjoined twins that had a similar experience. So um, I think they only got one. Maybe in, in a way, obviously, this sort of thing makes me think of like John Merrick as well in that sort of situation and, and you know, those sorts of things. Um, Thanks for indulging me and yeah. reading my, you know, I and I, I chose this because it, it, it has made me cry. And, you know, I, I cry at my own comments. <laughs> so, you know. If we can express ourselves, that's you know, to, you know, that's the the point of, of doing these creative endeavors. And so I do it. I do, you know. Um, the one thing I would say is, like, you know, there's no excuse for it. Everything we have talked about today is available on um, Comicsology. So you know, if you know, it's not in this digital age. It's not easy, It's not hard to find these. If you want to read along with us, go find them. And uh, as you say, so Martian Lit, they're all on Comicsology, MartianLit.com. There'll be a, there's a link in the notes down below. Go check out. Um, you know, on you're on Twitter. Well, you 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 blow your own horn, Julian. Before we sort of uh, we get to it. I mean, and and you know, we're on um, Stories Out of Time and Space mm. uh, podcast every other week. Uh, you can check us out there if you like our repartee and our knowledge of each other if you're not listening to that you should be 
Definitely. Another thing is they're alternate. So you're always going to at least hear me on a weekly basis. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, but also we do much more things. If you do like what we do on this podcast as well, or on Stories and Time, uh, at Time and Space, both available on um, this podcast and all of the podcasts available on all podcast catchers. If you like what we do, go leave a review. Just go on your podcast catcher, preferably fly five stars, but if you want to leave less, that's fine. But any review is good. Uh, we like to see them. I obviously, I often go out and have a look. And uh, it gets up the ratings, lets people know we're there. But if you really like what you're doing, and you again, you like what Julian and I are doing, uh, check out the Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash 20cgmedia. And one of the things we're doing on there, that uh, Julian and I are trekking through the Twilight Zone from the 1959 and 1960 original series, the Rod Serling Twilight Zone, an episode a week, in little nugget size. Uh, bite-sized episodes You'd, we aim for about 15 minutes which we usually hit there are a few where we overrun because they're brilliant or you know we might be doing something a bit different so but go and check that out and that is at the basic level that's just at the bottom level okay that's a weekly podcast about the twilight zone at the bottom level so imagine what else you're getting on all those other benefits all kinds of podcasty things and behind the scenes bits and pieces all of it excellent go check out the patreon the link for that is also in the bottom uh but Julian, yeah, thank you for coming on. This is, you know, it's always good to talk comics. It's been um, a joy. Thanks for indulging me. <laughs> that is great. I, you know, I always enjoy doing this. And uh, yeah, starting me off on the Flash, making me think, yeah, I've got to go back and read Miracle Man, and uh, introduce me to Kim at Ren. So I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's good to go back to the. I, I like going back to the desert island. I do like this idea of people choosing <laughs> three comics. It works well. Um, I will have you back at some point on on Twenty CG because. The other one I've started to do now, and so I'll leave you to think about this, is we do uh, we do story time, uh, 20th Century Geek story time. And the point of that is to pick a short story. Uh, it could be the, the, the only criteria is it has to have been published in the 20th century. That's it. It can be any short story. And um, I've done two so far. The first one has been, has been released. I did, uh, we, I did work with Tony to do, oh, oh my God. Um, the Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Mm. I've got another one coming, which I'm not going to say yet because I've got I've got it set up to go. So I've got another one to go. Uh, but yeah, we, we, I will have you back to talk about short stories. Uh, at some I'd point be delighted. You... Yeah, it's good fun. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Uh, do go check out the Our Sister podcast, and uh, I shall we shall talk to you again soon. Mm.